founder of Alzheimer Speaks and your host today on Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm really excited for our show today and I can't wait to introduce you to our guests. But before we go there, I always like to share a little bit about Alzheimer Speaks because we're always getting new listeners. So for those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer Speaks is a advocacy-based company and we are also a media outlet for um, companies and individuals that just want to raise their profile and are trying to reach the dementia community out there. So feel free to reach out to me anytime that you'd like. We have many different platforms from our website, the blog, the radio show, our YouTube channel where we also feature Dementia Chats, where I interview the true experts who are those living with the disease. As far as our audience goes, I always have to give you big kudos because you have raised our voice and spread the word of Alzheimer Speaks and the content that we share. And so I always have to give you a big shout out and thank you because it's just, it's so important to, to get the information out to those in need. And your likes, your clicks and shares have truly made a huge, huge difference. So I want to thank you, and I also want to invite you, if you have a story to tell, to reach out to me because maybe you could be our next guest. We believe all voices need to be heard. So if you're living with a diagnosis, if you are caring for a loved one, if you're a business professional, an author, a musician, um, a writer, a researcher, everyone is welcome here. So that's just a little bit about us. So let's get to our, our show today. I think you're going to be really uplifted after you hear from our three guests today. And our first guest that I want to introduce you to is Reverend Dr. Jade Angelica, and she is the founder and director of Healing Moments for Alzheimer's. Since uh, 2007, Jade has been designing and leading workshops, services, and trainings for Healing Moments and offering presentations throughout the country. She's the author of Where Two Worlds Touch, a spirituality journey or a spiritual journey through Alzheimer's disease. Jade's most important ministry has been caring for her own mother, Jean, who died from Alzheimer's in uh, 2011. So welcome. How are you doing today, Jade? Well, I'm, I'm wonderful, Lori, and I'm happy to be here with you. And thank you so much for all the work that you're doing with Alzheimer's Speaks. It's really a wonderful outreach. Well, thank you. Takes us all, you know, it just really takes all of us working together. And I've known Jade for a few years now and have marveled at her work. And, you know, it's all of us reaching out, being touched in the heart, and then trying to make a difference, trying to make the world a little better place. So thank you for, for all of your work too, which we will be sharing with people here shortly. Next, I want to go ahead and introduce Kelsey Wilson, who is a doctoral uh, candidate for clinical psychology at the University of Iowa. She has now completed her clinical neuropsychology internship, which was at the St. Louis VA 
and she's working with veterans with uh, neurological disorders. So welcome, Kelsey. How are you today? I'm good. Um, I'm also very excited to be here and talking with you all and sharing um, our findings because we're pretty excited about them. It'll, it will be very fun research to talk about. So thank you for taking time out of your day to be with us. I'm going to go to one more of your sidekicks here and introduce her, and that is Edmarie Guzman Velez, um, and she was raised and born in Puerto Rico, and Edmarie moved to the U.S. to complete her doctoral degree in clinical psychology at the University of Iowa as well, and that is where she met Jade and Kelsey. Um, she is now in a postdoctoral fellow at Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School studying for her preclinical stage of Alzheimer's disease. So welcome, Edmarie. How are you doing? Hi, good. How are you? Um, thank you for having us. We're very excited to be here. Well, good, good. Before we get started um, along our kind of lines of questions, I always like to ask each one of our guests if they have been touched by Alzheimer's disease or another form of dementia within their own family. So I'm going to go ahead and start with uh, Jade. And if you can give us a little background, I had mentioned that your mom had it, um, but I don't know if there were others as well. Actually, yes, there were others. And um, I first experienced Alzheimer's when I was um, about 20 and my mom's oldest sister was diagnosed and um, then her her uh, middle sister also was diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's and so it was really no surprise when my mom was in her 80s that she also was diagnosed with Alzheimer's so it's something that apparently runs in in uh, in that side of the family and it was just uh, I was living out of Town when my mom was diagnosed, and it was really an honor and quite a joy for me to be able to return to my hometown of Dubuque, Iowa, and spend the last four years of her life with her. And it tra it transformed me. It changed my life. And it and mom actually was the inspiration for all the work that I'm doing. This workshop that I developed and the the book that I wrote. So she's she's not actually here in the pictures, but she's very much here with us in this work. It's funny how our mothers and our family members, our loved ones push us forward and teach us so many beautiful lessons and inspire us to, to do something totally different. I, I know that's my story too, with my mom of 30 years on her journey. There's no way I'd be in this space without, without wanting to help others through this and seeing the positive light that can be there when you're walking along someone with dementia. So thank you for sharing, sharing that. Um, Kelsey, how about you? No, actually, I, I haven't had any family members um, who've been diagnosed with dementia. Um, so this is something that I've dealt a lot with um, from a clinical perspective. Um, at work, I've worked with a lot, a lot of patients who have dementia, um, but I haven't had the opportunity to care for a loved one. Okay, wonderful. Well, lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> lucky you. Uh, okay, um, Marie, how about you? I have been uh, touched by the disease. I had two, uh, two uncles who passed away, uh, one with early onset Alzheimer's disease and one with late onset Alzheimer's disease. Plus, I've been touched by every single patient that I've had with dementia uh, throughout my career. 
Okay, great. Well, I'm going to start the first question with you, if you don't mind. I, I'd like you to um, explain or describe your research study that has just been published about education for Alzheimer's caregivers. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So this study uh, that we did together a few years ago, I published a study about how people who had Alzheimer's disease could experience an emotion for a very long time, even if they couldn't remember what caused the emotion, sort of emphasizing how important it was that we spend time treating people with Alzheimer's disease well, and they, we avoid negative emotions because these do impact them for a very long time. Uh, that sort of inspired uh, this whole collaboration. I, I'm, I'm sure Jade, I love when Jade tells the story, because really it's Jade who started the whole, the whole thing. Um, but she ended up contacting me, and basically it, it all started because uh, she brought this interest based on my study, plus she had all this baggage and all this interest and um, motivation to help caregivers. And I also had an interest, too, to work in this field because I could experience all the hopelessness that a lot of my patients and their caregivers felt when they just didn't know what to do once they had uh, the diagnosis. And so this is how this, this whole project started in then trying to see if this intervention that looks so promising and that we felt really worked to help caregivers, uh, if we could add data to show that it actually works and that we can, we can help uh, change people's lives by having them participate in this intervention. Kelsey, you go ahead and add anything to that you'd like. So as Anne-Marie was saying, Jade really got the ball rolling with this. Um, and so she had already created this intervention um, called Healing Moments. And it was something that she was offering out and about in the community. And so um, what Anne-Marie and Jade did together um, was start to put this to the test. And I actually wasn't there when they first started this project. I joined it later on. Um, but essentially, over a, f a number of years, we recruited family members who were taking care of someone with dementia. So a lot of spouses, children, um, caring for a loved one. And we offered them this intervention. So people either came to this workshop, it's a two-day workshop, and received the intervention, or we had them wait. Um, and they would get it later on. And then we followed these people and we looked at stress and depression and anxiety. And we looked at that over time to see if this intervention could effectively reduce um, stress in dementia caregivers and, and the burden that they experience. And so we followed them for six months uh, with questionnaires through the mail and had them send it in. And overall, we found um, that this workshop did lead to a reduction in stress that people reported up to six months later after coming to sort of this one brief intervention, um, which is pretty hopeful um, from our perspective. It inspires a lot of encouragement that maybe there's something that we could offer people even in just a small burst that could have a lasting impact. It sounds really, really exciting what you guys are doing. And when you're talking about six months out still having an impact, that's just like a big wow moment for a two-day intervention. So Jade, I'd have to go to you because both ladies here are saying this is your doing. So if you can explain a little bit more on, uh, you know, how the heck did you guys hook up? How did you connect and even come up with this research project? Well, you know, I think it was um, one, one part kind of persistence on my part 
but I think it was also one part um, luck or, or maybe destiny that the three of us were intended to meet. Um, it, this all got started in January of 2011. A, a colleague of mine who knew was familiar with my work in the Alzheimer's field sent me an article that was in the New York Times about Alzheimer's caregiving. And in this article, there was a researcher from the University of Iowa who, was, who had done um, a research study that was the predecessor to Ed Marie's study for people with Alzheimer's. And, and his study was about um, emotional um, memory for people who had memory loss similar to Alzheimer's. And there was something about his language, the way he was being quoted and the way he was talking about uh, people with dementia, um, you know, having their humanity and there was a, a scientific evidence now showing that the way we care for people with dementia was so important that it really mattered. Um, I, I just, like, I was inspired to send him an email and he invited me to come to the University of Iowa to give a presentation to the entire neurology department and I did, and just did a little, I don't know, I had 20 minutes maybe to do a little uh, just small demonstration of what the workshop was all about. And there, you know, sitting in the corner was Ed Marie. And, and she turned out to be the person who was really, really interested in memory, in studying memory. And and she became especially interested in the, the emotional memory of people with Alzheimer's and that my work was really focusing on connecting with people in that emotional way. And so she, she told me once that she was really, really thrilled with, with this program because it was like a practical manifestation of her research findings that people with that emotion, pe that people lose their cognitive um, memory, but they don't lose their emotional memory throughout the entire course of the illness. So, and the rest, as they say, is history. After we met, um, uh, it took a it took a number of years to get the program developed, and Edmarie and I worked together to to take previous programs that I had done and combine them into this two-day intervention for, for, um, for caregivers. Oh, that's fantastic. It's so funny because I think when I, when I started out too, it was really, it was all about that emotional connection. And, you know, I stepped into the space not until um, 2009, even though my mom, you know, had the disease for 30 years. And I think that was just, you know, and I'm sure you battled this too, but people just thought you were crackers, you know, because it was so black and white task oriented that this is the way that you have to do it. And so like when I go out and speak, I call it emotional based training because I, I think it is all about that heart connection and people are much more receptive to it now. But back even when you were trying I, you know, it was just, it was a really foreign concept. And I just, to me, made no sense at all, because to me, that's the core of caring is to feel like you're in a relationship and somebody gets you not just doing tasks, but that really wasn't that really wasn't the majority of the basis of how we how we truly cared for people. 
it was really a much more of a, a medical model in my perception anyways is that is that what you felt as well well when i when my mother was diagnosed it was 2000 and 2003 i think 2003 2004 and i i was trying to find resources about how to communicate and connect with her and there really wasn't very much out there. In fact, there was one book that I read called Learning to Speak Alzheimer's, which really inspired me to develop in my development of this program, because in that book, um, the authors talk about six different domains where you can help people with dementia have a good quality life. And they said that the most important one was the, dom the domain of communication. And so the, the Healing Moments workshop, this one that we actually studied was called Meeting Alzheimer's. And that's the focus is, is, the, is the communication, teaching caregivers to learn how to communicate with people with dementia who are sometimes operating in a different, a whole different world. And so I think Ed Marie and, and Kelsey, I'll let them speak for themselves, but they were intrigued by the creative way that I was approaching this was I'm, we're, we're actually not just telling people they have to meet their loved ones in their world, but we're actually giving them classroom practice in doing this by using improvisational theater techniques. So people don't just listen to me lecture for two days. They actually use their mind, their bodies, and their hearts to practice these skills that we're teaching them. Well, and the, the thing I love with improv is you you can use it across your whole life. These techniques are not just dementia related. I mean, they really are things that we need to be looking at, I think, as a society at large on how to communicate, because it's pretty evident we're not doing a very good job, you know, as a whole. Um, Edmarie, I want to pull you into the conversation, and I want you to talk, if you if you don't mind, just a little bit more about the, the research that you did in your early graduate program program and what was your motivation to kind of go down that road and, and look at Alzheimer's disease and, and caregiver research? So as an undergrad, I was very interested in just understanding memory. You know, I would sometimes just think if, if I wake up tomorrow and I don't remember what happened to me yesterday or last year or five minutes ago, I can't even start to think how that would look like and how I would feel about that. And so when I started graduate school, I really wanted to understand this relationship with emotions and memory and how emotions may help us remember things better. And so I thought, oh, you know, studying people with Alzheimer's disease is a good way to understand memory and emotions. And so that's how I got into studying this topic in individuals with Alzheimer's disease. And I was very interested in this idea of being able to experience emotions after even if you can't remember what caused the emotion because it has like real world implications and like Jade was mentioning earlier one of the reasons why I chose this career is because I feel that what I do today in the lab can be used by someone tomorrow at their house and that to me is really important but with time as I interacted more with patients with participants I actually started becoming very interested in Alzheimer's, in helping people with Alzheimer's, 
and with trying to find uh, ways to understand the disease better, but also to help them and their caregivers. And so I, th I guess that's how it all led uh, to where we are now. And that's why I'm here still trying to understand Alzheimer's and how to best help people who are in their path to develop Alzheimer's or those who are taking care of, of them. Now, when you were sitting listening to Jade's presentation, what was going through your mind? <laughs> I was thinking, this is very different because uh, if I don't know if you've ever been to a research presentation, they tend to be pretty, pretty dull or <laughs> they're not that exciting. I mean, the top is exciting when you're just hearing numbers and facts. And here comes Jade and she's having us get up and 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 do improvisation and just, it's totally different from what we were uh, used to. But what I love the most is that here we are a group of scientists trying to study all these things to make, to understand the world better, to help society. But Jade was our bridge to the community. You know, uh, she is the person that told us, look, this is what people need this is what's going on and this is how I think you can help us. And then it was just a great opportunity to bridge that gap between the scientific community and just the individuals that we are trying to help every single day. So when, when you were sitting in that room, I can tell you were excited about it. How, how did other researchers deal with that? Because I know a lot of times, like, I'll speak to different groups, like accountants and things like that. And they're not touchy-feely kind of people, usually. And, you know, when you're talking emotional-based and, and trying to really, um, you know, reach in and get people to feel... Um, if they're not used to that, um, was that awkward for, for some others or did they perceive it as awkward? You know, I bet it, it was possibly awkward for some people. I think we were, we were all lucky that the person that heads those meetings is Dan Trinnell and uh, who is our mentor and collaborator. And he is very open to these experiences and to having people from, with all sorts of backgrounds come and present. So it may have been awkward for some people, but I think for him, it was really important that Jade was there and that we were doing this. And I think uh, regardless of how people felt, we all appreciated why it was so important that Jade was there presenting to us about this topic. Well, that's fantastic. And I didn't mean to put you on a spot, but I, you know, in terms of, we'll probably get a lot of different people listening to this. And sometimes I think, we have to get out of our comfort zone to really expand the possibilities, you know, of what can happen. And so I know, I know for myself in some things that I've stepped into, people will go, what is she doing now? You know? And so I, I'm curious if you got any of that or if people were really excited to see the results and, and supportive and, you know, how, how it was perceived in terms of, what you guys were going after in terms of your research through these workshops. There's probably some people that thought, wow, this is going to take a long time. Uh, you don't know what you're getting into. But I think for the most part, uh, particularly because a lot of the people in our lab meetings are clinicians, I think they all understood very well why this was so important. Um, even if we haven't been touched by Alzheimer's personally or at home, like Kelsey was mentioning earlier, as clinicians, particularly in neuropsychology, we're touched by it a lot. I mean, we see patients with dementia 
possibly every day, and with their caregivers, who a lot of times are desperate to find answers or to at least get some information about what to do. So I think they all really appreciated uh, that even if it wasn't uh, the normal way to go about things, if there's such thing, um, it was definitely important worth worth taking the time to do it. I think that that's wonderful. And, and one of the reasons I'm kind of pressing this too is that you know, for so long, research seemed to have to be in a, in a lab, you know, yeah. and it was medication based. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing a lot more being looked at for social interaction and social engagement, which I think is just a really beautiful thing because on so many levels from removing isolation and increasing awareness and connecting people to resources, you know, you're giving them tools to not feel so isolated and alone, some other other options. And so, um, I, like I said, I'm just thrilled with the expansion of looking into programs like this because I really, I, I really think for families, it's that it's it's that on the grounds practical experience, tools they can use that aren't necessarily overly difficult to learn. You know, it's just more of a comfort zone um, teaching with new technique, but in terms of giving hope. So like I said, I'm, I'm very excited. So thanks for sharing that. Something that I really love about this project is that a lot of times and a lot of the money that's coming from the National Institute of, of Health is to understand the disease better. And I feel like a lot of times the caregivers are not paid as much attention Um, And so one of the things that I love about this study, too, is that we got to do just that, pay attention to the millions of caregivers that uh, really need attention in trying to, you know, just actually empirically based uh, interventions that can help them. Uh, have a better quality of life and a better connection with their loved one. Exactly. Jade, do you have anything that you want to add? I do want to add something about the the question about the the reaction of the scientists at the the um, lab meeting at the U of Iowa. I sh- I shared a couple scenes at that presentation about um, inter- actual interactions that I had with. Um, some people with dementia. And I also was repeating something that I had read in a book that, that talked about people with dementia, that they weren't being rational and that it was impossible to try to reason with someone who wasn't, didn't have the ability to, to be rational. And after sharing one of these stories of this interaction that I had with someone with dementia, One of the young scientists came up to me and he said, you know, I just want to say to you that, you know, you said this about people with dementia didn't have the ability to reason. And he said, that answer that that woman with dementia gave to you was very rational. You know, she was in a different reality than I was in, but her... Her, and he was absolutely 100% correct. She was being extremely rational given what was going on in her mind. And that just that, that was just a click to me. And it, it really changed something in me. So, and Marie wasn't the only one who was really engaged in the presentation at that. And I, you know, I had the opportunity to learn something from one of the scientists. In terms of that comment, I'm just going to throw in something. When I, when I go out and speak, you know, people always talk about they're not rational. It doesn't make any sense what they're doing. And so I have an equation that I use, and I, it's their current attitude plus their past experiences create their perceptions, and their perceptions trigger their reactions. And if we step back 
and and go to that place to figure out what's causing it. It becomes pretty simple to figure a lot of these reactions out, which of course we like to call behaviors because they don't fit in our box, um, which uh, people with dementia hate because you know being called uh, you know having a behavior is you know is a negative thing. We usually don't pat people on the back for good behaviors. <laughs> you know we don't we don't take them as a behavior. Uh, we take it as a skill or something like that but I, I think that that was great that they had that insight um, to be able to see there is a pattern and there is a rationalization you know for that so thank you for sharing Kelsey I'm gonna go to you next and, and first ask if there's anything that you'd like to add into um, the conversation so far yeah you know I think um, you were asking about how people responded to this work and um, and I, I wasn't there for Jade's initial presentation I hadn't gotten to graduate school yet um, but I got there a couple of years later whenever Ed Marie was starting to present on her findings of starting this project with Jade and so I was a attending one of those meetings. Um, and at that time in neuropsychology, I'd started working in the clinic. And as Edmarie mentioned earlier, we often see patients with dementia often daily. Um, and one of the things about neuropsychology is a lot of time our role is in actually making that diagnosis. And we might be the first person that uses the word dementia or uses the word Alzheimer's with these patients. And I was starting to notice that in that work, that was a really difficult conversation. And you could just see it hit not only the patient, but oftentimes their, their daughter or their, their spouse possibly even harder. And you could just see this shift as all of a sudden their entire world changed and everything that they had seen for their future, how they thought retirement was going to go, everything changed. And, you know, I was really noticing that like these people were being really handed the most difficult job of their life and no one tells you how to do it. And so everyone just was kind of like, what are we supposed to do next? And that was really hitting me too and thinking about, well, who does have resources for you? Who, who could help you with this? Um, and so while I was starting to realize what a big need that was, um, I had the opportunity to listen to Ed Marie start to describe this thing she was doing with Jade. And I thought, that sounds amazing. That's what these people need. They need something. Um, they need someone to come in and give them some skills and boost their confidence and their ability to take on this role. And so then I, I went up and asked if I could join in. And um, she, I think, was maybe relieved even uh, because she was getting ready to move out to Boston at that time. And so it was, it was really great to get to join in. And this was now several years ago um, that this happened. But so that was um, my reaction to hearing them present on this. That's neat. And I love that you're coming from the level of the clinician and being able to see that look in people's eyes. And, you know, people with dementia always say, you know, when they get that diagnosis, I'll ask, you know, how did it feel? And they'll usually say, I was relieved because it has a name and I was scared to death because it has a name. But the yeah. one thing they all say is in that 10 seconds, their life changes and everyone looks at them different. Same with care partners. Like if you got a grocery bag and you just dump it out and now it's empty and you don't even know how to how to pick stuff up and fill it because you don't know even what you need in the bag anymore. And we've got to get better at, at giving people more tools and resources because they're out there, but mm -hmm. we don't have a good way to communicate them. One thing I will throw in is that there is a company here in Minnesota called Provalence that is 
making up a, a dementia specific directory. And it's really, really cool. And it's something I wanted, you know, 35 years ago with my mom, you know, to be able to find everything from housing to books and videos and information on medications and just all kinds of resources. And uh, people can go to, to my site, alzheimerspeaks.com, go to the resource directory and see a sampling. It's still in, in beta testing, but I'm so excited about that because that will be where people, clinicians can utilize it, you know, with people when they're first starting out, they'll be able to do geo searches and say, this is in your area. Or if you've got a family member on the other side of the country, you'll be able to go in and, and see what's available. You, you can save it and share it. Um, and you are connected directly to those companies or services for people. So there's no middleman or, and it's very, very economical. And so I'm, I'm excited for that because I think that's long, long overdue to be able to help everybody connect and, and inspire one another. Because, you know, I see that a lot um, just with the memory cafes or the dementia friendly communities that you know, when somebody starts something and if they're open to sharing what they're doing like you guys are, more people get excited about it and they, they want to do it. They want to bring it to their community. They want to get it, you know, because it's it's hopeful. It's refreshing. And so, again, kudos for you for getting exciting and, and um, stepping up and, and saying, hey, can I join? <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to throw this over to Ed Marie and um, ask her for her input when you when you asked to join the team. She's Kelsey thought maybe you were a little bit relieved because you were moving. How how does that even work when you're when you're doing a research and then expanding the team? Is that complicated or? Uh, I was very excited. <laughs> it is a little bit complicated, but I was really concerned about the project because. I was moving and I didn't want to plus well first I didn't want to end it there and second I didn't want to leave it to just anyone I wanted to make sure whoever continued the project really cared about it or was responsible and all those things that we look for and the nice thing about when Kelsey came in is that the project was already going right we were already recruiting people we were already testing the um, intervention we were just starting um, so when she offered her help it couldn't have come out at a better time because then she while I was there we both trained together um she took on uh you know she was able to do everything that I was doing and more because really she I left and she took it and she was amazing with it and and she improved it and and uh, I it couldn't have it better like like Jade was saying at the beginning I feel like this was fate or something because we ended up being a really good team and it all worked out really nicely. Well, that's great. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about or some of the most interesting and exciting discoveries that you found through your research? I think uh, the most exciting it was that we were able to see uh, diminish, uh, a decrease in stress six months after the end of intervention in people that participated in it. And this is really remarkable because we were able, this intervention did this in only two days. It's not every week. It doesn't take months and months. In only two days, people felt six months after that was enough to feel less stress. Um, 
So that is huge. That is really exciting. And it just shows us that if we can do that in two days, imagine what more we could do if we were able to have a bit more time. Um, so it's definitely very exciting. Kelsey, how about you? What, what was exciting to you? I'm sure that statistic was pretty powerful, but were there other findings that really stood out to you as well? Yeah, um, I think that one of the things that we looked at um, was within stress. Was there something in particular that changed? Um, and we saw a change in um, self-efficacy. So essentially, people's belief that they could handle what they were dealing with. And, and that really fit with what we were telling, what people were telling us about this. Um, whenever people would give us feedback um, and we would ask them what they thought about it, we would get this sense of increased confidence. We didn't fix the situation. The person still has Alzheimer's um, and we couldn't make that better and we couldn't fix, you know, any other stressors that were coming into their life as a result of that, trying to navigate finances and where they're going to live. We couldn't take those problems away. But what this seemed to do was give them confidence in their ability to handle it and that they had a sense they could do this. And I think that that is, is really exciting and, and gives you kind of some hope um, that that can then start to improve people's quality of life. And I have, a, I have a quote from one of our participants that I think speaks to that, if that's okay to share. One of them said that, I'm so glad I attended this workshop. It was very enlightening for me. I have such a more positive outlook on this journey with my wonderful wife. My wife's grace is amazing. And even though this is not the path I would have chosen, I think my love for her has grown exponentially with this new challenge. And, and I think that speaks to the idea that, you know, this didn't fix everything, but it changed how he was approaching it and how he viewed it. And this change in perception of what it means to take care of someone with dementia and this ability to see it from a new point of view, I think, um, can be really empowering. Oh, I agree. Um, Jade, I would imagine you have something to, to add on this. You know, one of the things that I love about you know, improv is it's fluid. It, there's not a right or wrong way. And, and so to me, as a, as a care partner, that just alleviates a load of being judged. And it opens up the door to being free to try new things, knowing that it doesn't have to work all the time, because you know what, nothing in life ha did prior to dementia. But we have this, I think, as, as, as care partners, we, we put this pressure on ourselves that we have to be perfect, because they you know, our loved one is so special and we don't want to let them down. But life was never perfect before dementia hit. You know, none of us were. They weren't either. But we, we put ourselves in that, that box of having to be perfect. And I think, I think improv allows people to smile and laugh and not be so serious again. And not that it's about um, humor. It really is a fluid tool of connecting at a different level. So Jade, I want you to chime in and with some of your thoughts with the research and, and what you've seen. First, I want to say, let me just say that what, what really interested me in the findings, the research findings, is in the materials that I would advertise, um, I would indicate that, that attending this workshop would help people become confident and competent caregivers. And so I was really thrilled to find that the research, the research results actually validated what I was thinking would happen from this workshop, that stress would be reduced, that 
interactions with their loved ones would improve, that they'd feel much more confident and competent in, in, in being able to care for someone who had dementia. So I was really hoping that through this work that it was making a difference in people's lives. And these two beautiful young researchers here helped me to validate that. And so as Ed Marie was saying um, uh, when we were talking earlier, that we can now let people know that there's data here, that if they come to this workshop, there's some data that shows them that it is, it is going to help. So um, that was really extremely important for me personally to have the work validated through a scientific process. And so I, I was really excited. I was really excited about that to know that it actually is making a meaningful difference in people's lives because it is a very, even under the best of circumstances, it's a very hard journey. And what, what we're doing is just alleviating a little bit of that stress that they have. And I also do want to say that in the process of people attending this workshop, they do have a lot of fun because improvisation is fun and, and there's laughter and there's emotion and there's a lot of feeling expression going on. And I think it, oh, well, one, one of the quotes that we use is, is um, laughter, mirth opens people's minds opens them up. And so this is, this is one way that we open people's minds to introduce some new concepts to them is giving them an opportunity to just really be free and, and, and laugh a little bit. You don't often hear the word Alzheimer's and fun in the same sentence. So we're pleased that this, this workshop offers that combination. And I think you're right. I think that creativity is, is opened and, you know, people get out of that box of a right or wrong method. And really, really looking at their person and, and people in their lives to those nonverbal reactions that we overlook most of the time. We're so focused on words. And, you know, even with the quote that Kelsey gave, you know, this, this deep love, I think for many people, you know, I know when I was caring with my mom, my love for her became deeper and stronger and to a point where you know, I, I say it was it was like an unconditional love. I didn't know unconditional love had so many levels to it. And as the disease progressed, the levels just kept coming. And our bond was so much stronger, even though there was, some people might think that there was less communication. We were communicating on a very different, more intimate level. And, you know, I would tell people she was the safest person I could ever go visit because she didn't judge. And I could just be who, who I am. And being able to, to find those pieces and appreciate that and realizing that how good that makes you feel, you can make someone else feel that. I want to ask um, Ed Marie, if you don't mind, um, where do you see possibilities of your research going in the future? Multiple routes. One thing we've spoken about is seeing if we could maybe add uh, another session uh, to just get input from people. How are they doing? You know, they've had time to practice, uh, see what sort of uh, challenges have come up and how they've used the skills that we've given them to deal with those. So it would be great if we could do this again with more people, with people with more uh, more diverse backgrounds 
backgrounds, different experiences, and do this in two days and then have them come back in a few months and tell us how they're doing. Another thing that we've, Jade and I and Kelsey have spoken about is also uh, trying to see if we can apply this to people that speak other languages or that are from other cultures. Um, we did this in Iowa uh, with, you know, that has a very specific demographic, uh, but the way people interact with the disease and the people, the way people think about caring for other people differs a lot from culture to culture. So I think it would be very cool if we could try to adapt this to people from diverse backgrounds so that it can be helpful for everyone. Well, that would be wonderful. I love, I love that idea of getting them back together because I think it would just kind of re-empower and re-energize. Plus, if you, if you had a mixture of those that were coming back along with you know, some fresh blood in there that, that are just starting. There's that empowerment of them helping the, the newbies out in it. Um, I see that with the memory cafes. And it's just, it, it adds a whole nother level to it. The other thing I'm just wondering, and I don't know if, if this would ever be considered or how a study would even be done on it, but to see if that group would be interested in maybe a mo- even a monthly support group where they just got together, even if it's for an hour, just to be able to talk and, and maybe practice techniques um, with different situations that, that come out, I think could be a really neat practice for them too. Because I know when I've gone through courses like what you guys are offering, it, you know, you make some pretty strong bonds in a couple of days with people, especially when you are so lost and not feeling like you have a lot of resources, but you have that common goal and that commonality. It would be neat to see if there was an interest in connecting or even if they couldn't meet in person because a lot of times they can't because of schedules, even to do that through maybe a Zoom platform like this. I don't know, just a thought. Kelsey, how about you? Any any ideas of where you see this going in the future? I think, you know, most of them, I think Edmarie kind of hit them on the head, what, what we're thinking about, um, that idea of kind of booster sessions and prolonging this and kind of seeing if they come back together um, could be a really interesting place to go. I think with this first study, we wanted to just say like, you know, is it even possible? Could you, can you make a difference in a weekend, essentially? Um, because, you know, when you're taking care of somebody, uh, with dementia, it's not that practical to come somewhere every week um, and to figure out coverage for something. Um, and so this became more practical for, for a lot of people. They Their daughter came in for the weekend and they went to this or they, they had a way to kind of arrange it. But I like your idea about um, seeing, you know, if they maintain contact and can continue to sort of problem solve and give each other advice and feedback on that. I think that could be I think it would be beneficial. Uh, I think that would help people as well. Okay. And Jane, how about you? You have any ideas? Well, I always thought that um, exactly what you were saying, Lori, was was an excellent idea that if people went through the, the two-day workshop, that um, the ideal model would be to have them attend the workshop and then meet once a month to to practice the skills and to connect with with people during the research study, however, it was it was it, they in order to get data that was really meaningful. They had to have the environment really controlled, and so there wasn't any kind of you know invitation 
to do something like that. But outside of a research format, that's something that I would really love to do here in my own community is offer, offer you know, to people, to caregivers whose loved ones are newly diagnosed. And I think Kelsey might have said something that it would be great to get them when they're, when they're just diagnosed. Um, we talk a lot about attitude. We talk a lot about um, realities. We talk a lot about acceptance, which other researchers have shown that acceptance of what's happening in your life is the most effective coping technique for caregivers, accepting the realities of what's going on. So we help them accept, we, we help them understand the connections, we help them learn how to affirm and validate. And I would, I would love to have the opportunity, like once a month, to have people come back and practice these skills. Because the more you practice them, the better you get at them. Um, and and to, to share, just like you were suggesting too, ideas. What did I try and did this work or didn't it work? And um, maybe I could try this uh, the next time. But I think it's a great idea to have follow-up have follow up with this. And then I also think there would be bonds be built and they would have that opportunity again to have some fun. That was the other thing I was thinking was that just that release of laughter in a safe group that understands that is so healing and it's empowering. And, uh, you know, even like with our memory cafes, people will say this recharges my battery. And I would see that having the same effect there or, or maybe you do an open, you know, once a month Zoom meeting, or they can just call in and, and kind of a coaching session. So if they have questions about, I tried this, but it didn't quite work, kind of have that group resolve where it's not always up to you to have the answers, because a lot of times they come up with great things too. Now, Jade, for the workshop, you know, we've talked about how this has really met the caregiver's needs. But what about the people with dementia? Are you able to measure that or is that through the voice of the caregiver? Um, I think that's probably best for, for Ed, Ed Marie to answer that. But um, we did get some anecdotal information from the caregivers that talked about how their relationships with their loved ones have improved. But uh, my strong feeling is that the workshop shop will help to improve the quality of life for the people with dementia, which actually was my goal in the first place, was to help improve the life of people with dementia. And I really believe that the way that happens is through the caregivers knowing how to communicate and connect with them. But that makes total sense because as we know, people with dementia mirror our attitudes back. So if we're stressed, if we're panicked, if we're tired, you know, a lot of times they're perfectly fine till we walk in the room, you know, and then, and then we see ourselves in them and we blame them when it's, when it's us. And so that makes total sense that if we can alleviate some of that stress on the, on the care partner, that the relationship is going to be a little smoother. So, um, Ed Marie, can you, do you want to chime in? We weren't able to directly look at changes in the person with dementia and, you know, I think one of the going back to sort of the beginning, what inspired this was to be able to induce positive emotions in people with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, and so I think that through this uh, workshop, one of the things that we're trying to teach caregivers is not only to take care of themselves and to look after their own health 
but also to provide opportunities for good communication that will induce really positive emotions in the person with dementia, which makes us think that we are having an impact in them. Um, but as part of the study, we did not measure this directly. Okay, great, thank you. Um, Kelsey, anything you wanna add? Um, I think just going along with what Ed Marie was saying, I think that the workshop focuses a lot on how to identify different emotions and validate those, um, both for the caregiver, but also for the person with dementia, being able to see, you know, from their perspective, why they might be acting this way. Maybe you show up and you can't figure out why they're angry, but maybe something happened earlier that day and you didn't see it. Um, and so we talk a lot about that and about how to um, meet that person where they're at and understand that. Um, because I think as, as people in our everyday lives, we want that. When I'm upset, I want someone to validate that. I want them to hear me. And even if they can't fix it, I want them to say, yeah, that sucks. Um, and to meet me there. And so we emphasize that a lot throughout the workshop that this is about meeting the person with dementia where they're at and understanding their emotions. Um, and so while we weren't able in this study to measure how they felt about it, I would hope that they would experience um, kind of a better quality of life from having um, a care partner who, who kind of can meet them and understand that too. It would be interesting if you could incorporate, and I don't know if this would be too subjective because um, I'm, I'm not a big research person, but to have them rate maybe the level of, um, of different emotions when they, before they came in and then maybe six months down the road, you know, or two, yeah. two four, six months in terms of do they seem more comfortable versus being stressed or being angry? Because my guess is that the care partners could measure that for you, even though it would be subjective. I think it could give you a good a good idea of that. Jade, I want to ask you in terms of your program, how you feel your workshop is different from so many other trainings that are available out there? Well, I think it's the the combination of techniques that that we offer people and we also offer an experiential just an experiential model so i've been to a lot of workshops a lot of presentations where they're offering information but we actually give people the opportunity to practice these skills so um and there's a lot of participation there is uh, a lot of opportunity to to get to know themselves as caregivers and to share and to share you know to share with each other and and it's 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 really it's really fascinating to ask some caregivers at, you know at the end what 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 the the experience was like for them and you know one man just said I'm a different person now he just felt like his compassion for his wife and what she was going through had just increased exponentially. So I believe what makes it different is the combination of information, the combination of techniques that we use and the, the using, well, basically we use mindfulness, mindfulness um, skills. And it's not, we're not exactly teaching people meditation, which is how, when you say the word mindfulness, people think, Oh, you know, I'm meditating a lot of caregivers don't have time for meditating. So 
were actually stressing observation, observation of themselves and their loved ones, um, self-care. We really focus on self-care. Um, we put a lot into a short period of time and just approach the, the, the focus instead of talking a lot about what people with dementia are losing. We talk a lot about what they're about what remains emotions being one of them. Um, and the focus is really on the humanity of people with, with dementia that, that they haven't lost their humanity. They haven't lost their personalities. They haven't lost who they are. You know, we hear so many of that, you know, oh, people with dementia are dead before they're dead or they're lost or they're gone or, you know, this, my mom isn't my mom anymore. And we really stress that, yes, they are still here. Um, we stress that humanity and the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And I feel that's, the be- that's part of the beginning of the workshop is, is this is why we're doing this. This is why we're devoting two days here to learn how to care for these people because they're worth it. You know, they're worth it. And, and um, I think caregivers really, they latch onto that and they take, you know, they take it seriously. This is the job that they've been given to do in their lives and they want to do it well. I would imagine that people get out of your workshop is one, you're setting up a safe space. You have people with, with common journeys and all of what you're saying about, you know, the humanity and the dignity and, you know, they're, they're still, they're still there. That's a whole retraining in and of itself because people look at the shell of a body and they're told, I mean, I remember with my mom, people would ask me, does she still know you? Does she, does she know your name? And what I found was people would ask me for two different reasons. One, one group would, would really want to know. And the other group wanted to give me permission to never go see her again because they didn't know how to deal with it. And they were uncomfortable with it. And there's so much discomfort out there. That's one of the things I love with the dementia-friendly communities that are popping up. And, you know, people are starting to have a conversation about dementia like we do with diabetes and heart disease and cancer and saying, you know, all these people are still living their lives. Dementia is no different. And just because we communicate differently doesn't mean communicate. And one of the examples that I use um, with people to kind of hit that one home is most of us accept a person in a coma state and understand that they can still take everything in around them, but they just might not be able to spit out a sentence to us or respond like they used to. But there's so much data on that. And, and that's a reteaching. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things. And then with all of that reteaching is you're restoring hope because there's been so much fear kind of mongering. I mean, that's how we've raised funds, you know, as we've scared the bejesus out of people. <laughs> and it really is about hope. And, and people don't want to give up on their loved ones, but they, when they can't find the resources, they don't know what else to do. And when they connect with, with people like you guys, it's, I mean, it's, I hear it all the time, how refreshing it is. And they feel empowered. They feel enabled. They, their whole perception of, 
of their relationships have been glued back together because they were torn apart from the stress. And so I, I, I just, I, I think what you're doing is really, really powerful stuff. So thank you so much. Um, Kelsey, I want to ask you a little bit about, you are going to be doing some, uh, doing a presentation, I believe, at a conference in February. Can you tell us about that and, and what you'll be sharing about your Alzheimer's uh, research? So I'll be presenting um, in February at the International Neuropsychological Society um, annual meeting. So it's an international conference. This year is taking place in New York City. Um, and this project was selected. Um, so I'll be giving a talk on this and, and sharing um, a lot of what we've talked about tonight in a shorter period of time um, <laughs> to hopefully um, continue to spread the word and get get the word out there that there are ways in which um, we can do better um, as a community in supporting individuals who are caring for someone with dementia um, and that even if we don't have a lot of time um, or if they don't have a lot of time to come in that there is hope that you can do something that has a meaningful impact um, and I think that's an important message to get out. Well, maybe you can use this show if people want more information, if they don't <laughs> have enough time, um, along along with your um, your article and things that was, was published to help get them motivated and excited about this. Um, I'm going to start with you, Kelsey, because I uh, have you live. Um, what are some of your goals and hope for the workshop going into the future? You know, I think that this is an incredible program, and I hope that in the future there is increased access to, to do something like this. Um, I, Jade mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I think, you know, in my dream world <laughs> where funding isn't an issue and everyone has access, I would love for hospitals and clinics to be able to offer something like this regularly. You know, if you just found out that your loved one has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, that they can also say, and next week, if you're available on Saturday, you know, once a month we offer this thing, you should come and check it out and here are some resources. And I think that that would be incredible um, to be able to, to offer something like that. And I think that things like this and getting data are sort of the first stepping stone to seeing the possibility of those um, types of resources in the future. But that's ultimately, I think that would be incredible. That would be really cool. And I mean, you see that with hospitals and clinics, they have the schedule that comes out for diabetes and heart disease and, you know, prenatal care and all of that kind of stuff or quitting smoking. And uh -huh. we have to get this to, you know, everybody's dining room table, you know, mm -hmm. and have a, have a conversation about this. And, and the more talking we can do, the more sharing of these resources, uh, you know, the faster those things will happen. And there's absolutely no reason that that this can't be spread and there's absolutely no reason that clinicians shouldn't be able to have access to tools like this to be able to give as resources because by not having access to those tools it is causing um, in my opinion more harm to both the the care partner and their family members as well as the person with dementia because it's just added stress and so we know stress does not have healthy effects on any of our bodies. <laughs> and so, you know, to really, um, really hone in on this, I, I think we, we really need to not only do the research, but we have to be able to spread the knowledge and mm -hmm. implement what the heck you're finding out 
and you know the, the funds have to be shared in a, a care and a cure method. And and I, I know from my audience, um, you know, which is is international, I hear that all the time. You know, research is great, but they have to give us stuff for feet on the ground, people dealing with this every day, um, not just about a pill, um, but we we need tools now. And this is a tool that could be implemented now. Um, we just need a source of funding for you guys to be able to get it out in a in a broader fashion and to continue your research to up the, up the ante there. And Marie, what's on your wish list? I'll put it that way. Well, Kelsey sort of told, talked about it. Um, I mean, I agree. I wish this could be just available to everyone. Um, either, it, and that we could continue to do more research to see how we can improve it. I mean, if could we do something like this over Zoom or over Skype? Would that be helpful? Um, how, what are other ways we could improve upon this? Um, but in general, the biggest thing on my wish list is for people around the world to be able to have access to this and be able to participate in, in this workshop and give us their feedback. That's wonderful. One of the things, you know, when you were mentioning about Zoom, you know, one of the limits are our little screens. And if, if there was a way, I think it's like Cisco has those, you know, a lot of um, big companies have those huge screens that they beam in people all around the world. You could actually show interaction, you know, with people um, with these smaller screens. It's a little more difficult, but great idea. Um, Jane, how about you? Given that I would really love for this program to make a difference in people's lives, my wish list is more more people available to do the training. And something that Kelsey and Ed Marie have mentioned is that in order to lead this workshop, you don't have to have a master's degree in psychology. You know, you don't have to be a social worker, but you do have to be trained in, in this healing moments method. So my wish list is to find the funding to offer a Healing Moments Institute so that people from around the country who have expressed interest in leading these workshops can come for a week and they can be trained um, and then to just, just you know, dispatch them out into the communities where they live so that they can do this work. Because I'm, I'm only one person I would love to be doing this, these workshops, you know, three times, three, four times a year in my own community and offering the model that we've talked about here today, a monthly, you know, uh, booster group so that people could come and practice more. Um, but mostly what I've gotten my fingers crossed for is, is funding to establish an institute. And I'm hoping that this research study will actually open doors up in a way so that we can train, train, you know, train more people to, to do the work. Well, if one of the things I would just add to that is I would, I would ask you to think even broader because you said within, the, within our country. And I think that there are people that would come from other countries to learn this as well. Or, you know, if this could be in, in collaboration with um, some of the international conferences where it's a it's a side program that people could participate in. Maybe it's a, a prior 
things. So if they are coming from other countries to be able to, to do that. Um, one of the things um, that I'm lucky enough to see and have contact with are people all around the world doing different things. And the, the sharing of knowledge, people are so eager for it. You know, they want to learn. They want to make the world a better place. And it is about finding those people with passion that get it and, and really want to hit the ground running, um, making improvements all around the world. So I can't thank you all enough for, you know, taking time to, to share with our audience today the work that you're doing. So you can go ahead and contact these wonderful women. Um, you can go to healingmoments.org or you will see listed each of their email addresses and Jade has also listed her phone number. So please reach out to them. They are eager to share and discuss what they've been doing with you. And um, I, I can't wait to see where this goes. I'm, I'm really excited for this work. And, uh, and again, um, thankful that you have, have um, just persisted this long because I know it hasn't been an easy time getting this program out to people because we've, ha we've had to change attitudes in terms of what can work, what is possible, or even just that shift of that there can be joy on this journey was a huge hurdle to overcome and more and more people are now now believing in that. Jade, any last comments that you have? I want to thank all of you. Um, Lori, you and I have known each other for a while and we connected on that similar journey because we both took care of our moms and made similar discoveries. <laughs> so I just thank you for your support for my work over these years. It's been really um, heartwarming for me. And I just, you know, whatever, whatever uh, ship of destiny brought me into contact with Edmarie and Kelsey, I'm so grateful for that too. It's just been, it was a, a dream of mine to have this workshop studied in a scientific way. And sometimes dreams do come true. So I'm really, really grateful. Thank you. Um, Edmarie, anything you want to add? I wanted to thank you too for uh, providing the opportunity uh, for other caregivers to learn about what we're doing and for bringing them all this information that uh, we are, you know, it's so great when we work so hard on something for so long and then we're finally able to communicate that and share that with the rest of the world, with those people that we're actually trying to help. Um, and obviously I'm, it's just, uh, it's been great and working with Kelsey and um, Jade. And I hope that this takes us uh, to many future studies and uh, that we, at some point in the future, we're back here talking about some other project we just finished. Well, that would be wonderful. How about you, Kelsey? Anything you want to add? Um, yeah, I would agree with um, both Jade um, and Emery. I thank you so much for this opportunity. You know, research is all well and good when it's in the lab, but it doesn't really do much unless it gets out to people that it could actually help. Um, and that would not be possible at all without people like yourself um, who are able to bring the latest news um, <laughs> to the people who need it most. So thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, and it has been an absolute pleasure to work with Edmarie and Jade. Um, I have learned a ton through this journey um, and I'm excited to keep going. Thank you all again. And uh, for our audience, you know, again, go to healingmoments.org or feel free to uh, shoot them an email or give Jade a holler. They would love to hear from you. Um, if you want to check out our resources, just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and there you'll find all kinds of jazz 
And in ending, I guess I would just like to throw out to you ladies, you know, if you hear of other researchers that are doing some neat projects, you know, please let them know to reach out to me because we, we need to get this information out into, into people's hands. And, um, you know, this is a real easy platform to be able to do that. And I would love to assist in any, any fashion I can. And I, and I do expect to see you guys back here with the next version and latest data of where things are going. So thanks again, everybody. Appreciate it. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.